Good morning. It's Mackling McGarry McNabb. Thank you very much for joining us on this Friday. And on Fridays, as you well know, we we try to inject just a bit more levity as we try to do that every day. But Fridays just sort of naturally happens. But this is going to be one of those Fridays that'll be a little bit different, Loren, uh, considering the uh, the bombshell news that we got yesterday from the Winnipeg police. Yeah, the man who had been charged with the death of Rebecca Contois back in the spring has been charged with the murders of three more Indigenous women. And I listened to the entire news conference yesterday and from start to finish. And now I, I'm, I'm disgusted. I'm extremely saddened for these families who are going through this and learning that someone they thought maybe was missing and had the hopes that they'd see them again now know that they won't be seeing them again. And I, and I think I'm also filled with shame. Like I'm ashamed that we're here again. I'm embarrassed. I'm, I'm, I'm at a loss for words, Greg, because I cannot believe we've had all these conversations over all these years and all these families have come forward to repeatedly share their pain and recommendations for how we could, you know, create a better world for everybody. And here we are with another serial killer. Greg, are you there? Yeah, I'm sorry, Brad. I'm just trying to gather my thoughts here. All night I was up and down and trying to figure out how I was going to convey uh, the emotion, the the devastation, the sadness I feel over this. But it just feels to me as though this is an indication, it's indicative of how how far too comfortable too many of us in our community have become with with violence and and crime of all sorts. Um, I believe the geography of where these crimes take place and 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 the identity of the victims plays in that in that apparent comfort that we have with what's going on in our community 50 homicides overall in 11 months just let that settle for a moment and here we are using the terminology serial killer in our community and that's just three months barely removed from a mass murder on a First Nation within driving distance of our city, even though it was in a, another province. This, this violence, this, this comfort and this dismissiveness when it comes to, oh, that's happening amongst a certain group of people or to a certain group of people. They're not people that I know. They're not people who run in the same circles that I do has got to stop. And until we realize that we're, we're all one community, one province, one country, I, I believe this is going to continue. We have a clip we want to play right now. This is from Long Plain Chief Kyra Wilson, and she talked to Richard and Julie on the news yesterday. She actually knew at least one of the victims that was in her extended family. And it's, but it's not just the connection of knowing. It's, it's the knowing that there are very real dangers of being an Indigenous woman. Historically, Indigenous women have been unfairly treated and, and targeted, and there's a lot of violence directed towards Indigenous women. And, and this is um, something that you know we've had to deal with for generations, and it's still something that we are seeing today. And for myself, I'm a mother, so I have to speak to my daughter, who is a young young woman, and I have to talk to her about you know the dangers of being Indigenous girl, Indigenous woman, 
in in the greater community. So these are conversations that, and these are hard conversations that we have with with our young women in our families. So it, it is unfortunate that this is something that we have to deal with every single day as we walk out our doors. So we're going to have a lot more to say about this in the hours and days and weeks ahead. At 6.37, we'll delve a little more into the investigation and what family members are also saying. After 7, we're going to talk to the folks at Ganaganichek. They, they work really hard on prevention strategies, but also healing circles and, and more to help families through this. So we'll get their thoughts. We're going to speak to Bernadette Smith at 8.37. Her sister went missing and is presumed murdered more than a decade ago, she'll share some of her thoughts, uh, Greg. And then, of course, we we all need to weigh in on this conversation with what we're going to do about this. And so send us your feedback, 780-6868. Uh, it's a heavy, heavy topic, but imagine if you're the family carrying the actual load. When I listen to Kyra Wilson's comments, uh, Brett, all I can uh, think is that that's not a discussion that I have to have with my two boys. We'll have much more on this through the morning, through the day on 680 CJOB. Also today, the Winnipeg Jets back in action tonight at Canada Life Centre. We've got the best of Rick Bonus at 7.20. We've got a John Shannon commentary at 7.55. And the keys to the game with Cameron Poitras after 8 o'clock. But Greg, one of the points that John Shannon says is that the Jets need to win the games they're expected to win. And if they were to go in tonight and lose to Columbus, that would kill any momentum that was built up by the Colorado drubbing. Would you agree with that assessment? I'd agree with that 100%. That's part of the pressure of being a good team is that uh, when you win the odd game that you're maybe A, not expected to win or you see as a critical matchup and then you follow it up with a loss who's farther down in the standings, it sort of wipes it away. It it almost becomes a a, a negative. So I'd agree 100%. The Jets have to win tonight uh, to keep the momentum going, to keep pace. Dallas won again last night. The Jets uh, have three games in hand on Dallas going into the game tonight. Uh, But if you want to be considered one of the best teams in the league, you can't lose to one of the worst teams in the league on home ice. It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. A Winnipeg psychiatrist says many more questions need to be asked before Canada changes the rules surrounding who is available for a medical-assisted death. So this coming March, people suffering solely from mental disorders are due to become eligible for assisted dying. Mental health advocates have already warned it is harder to predict the outcomes and treatments of mental illnesses, and a wish to die is often a symptom of the illness itself. But an expert panel said earlier this year, existing eligibility criteria and safeguards in medically assisted dying legislation would be enough. Dr. Jatinder Serene is the department head of psychiatry at the University of Manitoba. He's one of many who put out a statement this week saying these changes need to be delayed. Regardless of whether we agree or, or disagree on this new law, um, we respect that there's a lot of work being done in Canada uh, trying to look at how to implement this um, uh, change. But um, the law change is happening in March, and we still uh, have a lot of unanswered questions about how to define who's eligible for MAID if they have uh, mental illness as their sole condition, um, 
how do you assess that? Compare, how do you differentiate as a clinician between somebody who is suicidal uh, versus re requesting MAID? Uh, and then even if those criteria which are being worked on are developed, there's still the need to actually do uh, training um, and uh, of a number of staff. So this is why we were uh, concerned um, and we wanted to raise uh, that, you know, we're coming out of a mental health uh, a COVID pandemic. We need more time uh, to really carefully look at uh, a lot of the definitions, the training, um, make sure that we're putting in the right safeguards uh, before we uh, open up MAID um, for mental health conditions as the sole reason for accessing MAID. So it was just six years ago that adults who had conditions where death was, you know, quote, reasonably foreseeable were within six months were given this option for a medically assisted death. And then it was changed to people with chronic but not terminal ailments. And now we're looking at this mental health and people who, who, who are living with mental health conditions. And, and, and they are even considering down the road, you know, directives for those who might be living with dementia and, and, and that that should apply for them. And so the question we're asking this morning is, does this make sense to you or do you feel like it's a slippery slope? And so there's different experts that have weighed in. We had Dr. Jatinder Serene there just saying, look, he feels like more questions need to be asked about well, what, are, what are the safeguards? And then Dr. Justine Dembo actually said to this panel earlier this year that people with mental disorders can suffer for a decade. And so in her mind, to say that someone with a mental illness shouldn't be eligible was also not fair, and in her words, was stigmatizing. So I, I'm uncomfortable with this. I recognize this is a controversial topic, but let us know what you think. It is safe to say that uh, many of us are reeling this morning after learning that a man previously arrested for the murder of one woman has now been charged with three more homicides. I think it's sad that time and time again that we have to keep coming here to gather for sad circumstances like this when our family members go missing and it shouldn't have to be that way. There were four women found and those women had families. They were mothers, they were cousins, sisters, and they didn't deserve that. And the search isn't done yet because we're still looking. That was the daughter of Morgan Beatrice Harris speaking at a vigil last night for her mom. Morgan was one of four women police say was killed by Jeremy Skibicki. Police allege the murders of Morgan, Mercedes Myron, Rebecca Contois, and a yet unidentified female happened between May and March of this year. All four women were Indigenous. While 24-year-old Rebecca Contois' murder last May was the first to put Jeremy Sabicki on police radar, they say she was actually the final victim. Winnipeg police say they've charged Skibicki with three new murders. The first is an unknown woman in her 20s. They showed a jacket believed to be connected with that woman, hoping it can be linked to a missing person. The second was 39-year-old Morgan Harris, who was reported missing last May. The third was 26-year-old Mercedes Myron, who went missing last March. I don't know if they were specifically being targeted, but clearly uh, the victims in this are, are all Indigenous women. Harris and Myron are from Long Plain First Nation, an hour west of Winnipeg. Their families declined to speak to media and asked through an advocate for privacy to come to grips with what they've learned. It's devastating news for Long Plain First Nation and Chief Kira Wilson. Ms. Contois, uh, she is also a part of uh, my extended family as well. So. There is a connection uh, for myself with my family and my community for the three 
uh, identified women that they spoke of today. Investigators say they haven't recovered the bodies of the three new victims, but believe they were killed around at the same time in May, and they don't believe there are other victims. These charges bring Winnipeg's homicide toll to 50 so far this year, surpassing the previous record of 44 in 2019. At least 11 of the victims in this year's homicides are Indigenous women. That is a stat that missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls advocates say is unacceptable. That was Global's Melissa Ridgen bringing us that story. And I think it, along with the shock of learning that this man had been arrested for four homicides, there's that sort of feeling of despair of, of, of have we learned nothing? Have we done nothing? It was just 10 years ago that Winnipeg was dealing with another serial killer, Sean Lamb, convicted in the death of two Indigenous women. He denied killing a third. He was sentenced in 2013. And then a year after that, of course, the body of Tina Fontaine was pulled from the Red River. The man who was put on trial for her murder uh, was actually not convicted. So that remains unsolved. And then a year after that death, we had the inquiry into missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls and countless recommendations and promises And here we are again. Here Winnipeg is again making headlines right across the country, if not the world, for all the wrong reasons. Nahani Fontaine is the justice critic for the provincial NDP, and she stood yesterday in the legislature with tears streaming down her face. Behind her was Bernadette Smith, whose own sister is still missing, presumed dead. And Nahani expressed how she and many others are feeling. It is devastating. It's devastating to see the heartbreak from family. It's devastating to be standing here again, to be having these conversations again. It's devastating to be standing here begging society to take this issue Seriously. I lived in British Columbia during the discovery of uh, Robert Picton's grisly, disgusting, sickening actions charged for 26 murders connected with the disappearances of dozens of women from Vancouver's downtown east side. And there's a common refrain from the relatives of the victims, many of whom were indigenous and they and they said in the inquiry into into that mass murder, into that serial killer and what happened there, that that authorities long denied that there was a pattern to the disappearances or that there were any links between the disappearances of all these uh, women who ultimately were found murdered. And, you know, I, th- I think there's a commonality there. Alarm bells have been going off for years and years. And and are we prepared to continue ignoring them? Or are we going to move forward and, 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 and try and make some sense and make some change of, of what's been going on for, for all these years? Uh, I just want to read this quote from a global news story here. Um, it was a horror story and the families were right. They were ignored. This comes from the Vancouver. Uh, this comes from a report. Uh, about the handling of the case. There were families who went to the Vancouver Police Department to report sisters and relatives missing and were told basically, buzz off. They were on some kind of prostitution track and they were getting ignored. Now, I only use that just as a jumping off point. You know, how many times are we going to ignore this and just say, well, this is just uh, part of life in Manitoba?
police were asked many questions about these four women yesterday and what they knew or didn't know back in, between March and May. The first person went missing early March. The last one died mid-May. And, you know, was there anything that they that they learned along the way that they may have known or may have missed? And, and they didn't believe they had. Missing persons reports were filed. Pictures were handed out. The Bear Clan went searching for different women. And now here we are learning that three more uh, have, are believed to have died. And what's additionally traumatizing for these families is that, that with the three that we learned of yesterday, uh, there are no remains. And so not only are there so many questions about why, why would this person allegedly do this, but they don't even have someone to bury right now. So there's so many more questions to be asked and hopefully answered as we move through this day and week. Coming up after Global News at 7 o'clock, we're going to talk more about support programs for the families of missing and murdered Indigenous women and what community leaders are feeling and how they are trying to help. Disney released the first trailer for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. So we'll talk about that in more detail there, but we'll use that as the springboard for this conversation. Pretty simple question. Best, worst sequels. What's your favorite? What's your worst if you'd rather go that road? I think most of us are going with our favorites, but uh, let's start with co-host of the Couch Potatoes, Jeff Braun. Oh, okay. I picked one. Uh, it goes by two titles, the official title and the unofficial title. The unofficial title is Rocky Seven, but the official <laughs> title is Creed. Look at me. I never got a chance to thank Apollo for helping me out after Mickey died. But it's nothing compared to what you've done. You taught me how to fight again. And I'm going to go home and I'm going to fight this thing. But if I fight, I want you to fight too. I want you to go across this ring and knock that son of a bitch down. Can you do it? Say it. I'm going to knock that son of a bitch down. I know you are. You know why? Because you are Creed. And I love you, kid. Yeah. I remember it sounded like a bad idea when they first announced it. It was like, what, a, a Son of Creed movie? That seems weird, but wow, it's a great movie. The sequel's pretty good, and the third one's coming out in spring. That's right. The, the third one comes out in early March, and I just rewatched both of the film. Well, I rewatched Creed 2 and part of the first Creed, but yeah, they're both excellent movies. Great pick, Jeff, I, and I'm surprised. I, I thought uh, I was expecting something a bit older, but... Uh, Were you yeah. expecting something more fast or furious? <laughs> I just tried to watch the first Fast and Furious so uh, not too the long ago. First? I haven't seen any of them. You tried to? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't finish it. I was no. with the kids, and it was just, uh, it was one of those moments where you're thinking ah, they might be too young for this. Cameron Poitras, let's go to you next. I've always taken care of you, brother. Boost that audio. Taking care of me? You're my kid brother, and you take care of me? Did you ever think about that? Huh? Did you ever once think about that? Send Fredo off to do this. Send Fredo off to do that. Let Fredo take care of some Mickey Mouse nightclub somewhere. Send Fredo to pick somebody up at the airport. I'm your older brother, Mike, and I was stepped over. That's the way Pop wanted it. It ain't the way I wanted it. I can handle things. I'm smart. Not like everybody says. Like dumb. I'm smart and I want respect. Oh, Fredo. Oh, Freddy, you never go against the family. Godfather 2. Just that's one of my favorite scenes of all time. Is it blasphemy to admit I have not yet seen The Godfather Part 2? I don't think it's blasphemy, but I think you should get on that. Like, like, like people always say, like, you got to watch 
like oh, you have to see this movie that's one you got to see yeah i know There's, yeah that's one you got to put at the top of the list that list just keeps getting longer and longer yeah. bron have you seen the godfather 2 Oh, many times. I own the trilogy. I, I need to find the, the new version of Godfather 3. They put out a, he re-edited it a couple years ago. Oh. Apparently it's pretty good. Okay. Producer Jeff Forte and Master Control. Well, mine, it's one of the worst sequels that I could ever think of. <laughs> you won't want to miss. Eddie! The boat. Don't We're do it. Slowed it down. But you're not going to stop her. B2 Cruise Control. Forche, did you miss me the email? No, I. What? Is, did you pick it too? No. <laughs> what? Cruise to Great this favorite your, this movie. Is, this is your favorite? No, it's this my worst. The email very clearly says best slash worst sequels. So oh, this, you're okay, okay. here, Forche. <laughs> I'm okay. Yeah, okay. The first movie, Speed, with Keanu Reeves, is Awesome. You know, mm-hmm. they're on a bus, they're, you know, bomb on the bus, but then this one came out, and you have Willem Dafoe as the uh, the bad guy, and he's taking over the ship, and it's all high-tech, and it was just terrible. There's, like, nothing good about it. Well, and it didn't, wasn't a guy, didn't Jason Patrick play, was he the same character, or was he playing a different character? I think he was playing a different character. I okay. saw this years ago, so yeah. the memory's not uh, quite all there. Yeah. The same the- script, they just changed out some of the names and the some of the... Some of the equipment involved, and just put it on a. Let's put it on a ship instead of. Is a it bus. just on the ocean though? Like it, it's way harder to just run into things on the ocean. <laughs> oh, it eventually comes to, aground. They yeah. managed to run into a bunch of stuff. <laughs> it was also based on a dream that the director Yann Devant had. So just, you don't see was, a lot of movies that are based on a dream. Sounds like it was a nightmare. <laughs> that, that, that's a dream that should have died. <laughs> Uh, Loren McNabb, let's turn to you next. Okay, so in playing this clip, I recognize I'm probably saying something about myself, but, you know, I've worked in news for 22 years, and at the end of the week, if I'm going to watch a movie, I don't want it to be dark, and I I, I want to just sort of, like, float through it. Not every time, but on a Friday for sure. I don't want science fiction. I don't want dystopic fiction. I just want it to be light and clever. And the first film in this series was. It was just funny. So when the second one came out, I was excited. I didn't go see it in theaters, but I had a girlfriend coming from Toronto to visit. We had a big girls' night planned. We're going to the Fairmont. Just but like a a sit-in night where you're just going to gab and have some drinks, watch a movie, order in room service. And so when we're at the hotel, we ordered this. There are those who make the law and those who make it look good. Elle Woods found the perfect job. We're lawyers. We have to fight for justice. Where she could speak up for the underdog. Animal testing for cosmetics is unjust. The cost of beauty is much too high. I can't believe I just said that. You're fired, Elle. What? God, so vapid and stupid and like 50 minutes into this film, again because we just wanted to have a relaxing girls' night, we stopped watching, called down to the front desk, and then spent 30 minutes arguing with them about why we weren't going to pay for that movie on our bill on the premise that it was just too bad to pay for. Like, we weren't going to pay for it. Was that Legally Blonde 2? That's Legally Blonde 2. Sorry, I haven't even said. (laughs) Legally Blonde 1, I've since gone back and watched, and it also does not really stand the test of the time. It's silly. Yeah. But she was good in it in that moment. And then the second one, you're like, you can't have a movie, a second one, where the basic premise is... Red, white, and blonde. You're blonde and therefore stupid. Like, it's dumb. So, the, yeah, that's for you, that's the worst. 
It's the worst. Okay. You don't have, by the way, you don't have to justify. You're, you say, this is probably going to say something about well, me. Well, it's, it's like that scene in The Office where they go around talking about the films you take on a desert island, and everybody's super judgy of the girl who said legally blonde. Ah, <laughs> and so cannonball, like, I, cannonball run two. Exactly. Yeah. The, the, movies Weekend that are geared towards, <laughs> movies that are geared towards women, I think, are often judged a little too harshly. It, so It's just because in that moment, you know, when you're excited for something, you know, you go to watch that film and it's going to mean something to you. Maybe because you watched it with your buddies or yeah. you're ready to have that good time. And then the night was ruined. Greg Mackling? I feel I should put myself in purgatory. Sorry, Jeff. I just saw best. I didn't see worst. So I may have gone a different way, but I battle back and forth with myself about which is the best sequel. Lethal Weapon 2 or... Luke Skywalker and Han Solo rescued the princess, destroyed the Death Star, but their story didn't end there. Now, the creators of the biggest smash hit of all time bring you the next episode in the Star Wars saga, The Empire Strikes Back. I love these old trailers. Like, they're just, they're so like... The voice, the guy voicing it, Cam, is terrific. But uh, I have to confess, uh, Cam, I think you probably picked the consensus best uh, best sequel of all time, right? Like Godfather 2. Uh, a lot of people say it's better than the first one. Empire Strikes Back, I think, is better than the first Star Wars. It stands up uh, mostly over time and, and probably is uh, one of the top two or three of all the Star Wars films for me. And that just may have to have to do with when I was introduced to it. We'll have to hear Brett still. Well, we'll get to those eventually because, uh, it, it, by the way, yeah, Godfather 2 maybe is revered as the best. But if Empire Strikes Back is your favorite, well, that's what we're looking for. Devastated. Disgusted. Shocked. They're just some of the many emotions people are feeling after learning a man already charged with the death of one Indigenous woman has been charged with the murders of three more. And we know for years now, for years, advocates have been working right around the clock to try and find ways to better protect missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls and two-spirited people, better ways to prevent these things from happening. And still, the numbers show the homicide rate for Indigenous women is almost four times that for non-Indigenous, Greg. Sam Harris is the director of healing and wellness programs at Gani Ganichek and joins us now. Good morning, Sam. Good morning. I know how I felt yesterday when I heard news of what police had to say yesterday. What went through your mind when you heard the news and what Chief Danny Smythe had to say yesterday? Uh, well, first and foremost, I want to send my prayers, my love, my condolences to the families and loved ones of Rebecca Contois, Morgan Beatrice Harris, and Mercedes Myron, and to the loved ones of the identified young woman. Um, yesterday's news certainly created a lot of feelings. There's anger, rage, um, sadness, disgust, a lot of pain. Um, we know that Indigenous women, girls, two-spirit community, and gender diverse folks are at higher risk of facing extreme acts of violence and yesterday just reinforced <clears throat> the things that we already know are happening to our women. Um, and I think that there's just a collective pain happening right now and a lot of hurt and a lot of sadness. If you could, Sam, walk us through some of that hurt because, you know, we've outlined the stats. You, you've explained just sort of the higher risk um, 
And yet here we are, right, talking about this again. And I had said earlier, like it was just 10 years ago, we talked about a previous serial killer and, and you'd hope you'd never have to have that conversation again. And yet here we are. And so when you use the word even rage or pain, were you taking calls yesterday or just hearing from people walking into Gendaganich ex- expressing some of that? Yeah, I I, uh, I was with some colleagues yesterday when the, the news conference happened. So we watched that together and... And, you know, as we watched, we talked about how we, we could feel that rage and we could feel that that pain and that hurt. And I think that right now, you know, it, it's okay to feel that anger and it's okay to be to be upset about what we've heard and what we're learning right now. Um, you know, we, we spent some time with the community yesterday and we did what we could to support the families and to support, you know, those who are affected and impacted and it's just such a heartbreaking thing to, you know, constantly have to have these gatherings and constantly have to come together as a community to mourn and to to remember and honor these women. And, you know, we we're tired of that. It's 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 exhausting, it's hard, it's hard work. It's really tough for the families who have to go through this and have to hear this news and to be re traumatized for those who have, you know, have loved ones that have been found before and have to have that similar experience and have to go through that grief all over again. It's, it's been a really tough, tough news to take in again. What should we consider when it comes to how triggering this could be for you? And you referenced it there. So like how triggering it could be for other families who have missing or murdered loved ones. Yeah. I, I think that there's a, um, you know, when we when we think about Indigenous people and we think about all of the collective traumas that, you know, we have faced and we think about the impacts of colonization, those things are still impacting our people today. And, you know, a lot of people talk about how, you know, we, we're, we're having conversations about truth and reconciliation. We're having conversations about missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls and two-spirit communities. Um, but there's not any work being done from that. You know, we have a lot of folks out there that that are are wanting to do that work and and looking for ways to support these programs and support organizations that are doing that hard work but you know there isn't always that sustainability for those programs to keep doing that work and to keep supporting the families and supporting the individuals and supporting those programs that are are providing culturally safe and culturally relevant supports for our our women girls and two-spirit community sam uh I think a lot of us are, are familiar and and know about things that go on in the United States within the black community on our program in the aftermath of George Floyd's murder. We had a conversation with Milt Stiegel, well-known former Winnipeg Blue Bomber, and, and I'll never forget the conversation we had with him about him having to have the conversation with his son about driving while being black. And when I listened to Long Plain Chief Kyra Wilson this morning, the conversations she has to have with her daughter about being an Indigenous woman or girl in our part of the world are eerily similar in my mind. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I think that, you know, we've, we share a lot of those pains, the, a lot of the pain, like you said, with, with some of the um, folks in the states that are experiencing some of those pains and those collective historical pains. And again, going back to, you know, these things tie into colonization and these things tie into historical 
um, injustices that are continuing to happen to our people. And, you know, I, I have a young a young man that I'm raising right now. He's six years old. And, you know, while I'm, I'm not having conversations about his safety, I'm having conversations with him about how he can keep our Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit communities safe. And what is his role in becoming a young man in this world? And how does he have to contribute to the safety of our people and the safety of our women and girls and two-spirit community? And, and you know, that, that those conversations have been happening a lot more as he is getting older. And, and you know, those conversations are a lot harder to have with, with a six-year-old. He doesn't completely understand what's going on or, or you know, have an understanding of those historical things that I talk about, but it's so important for me to start having those conversations with my son at six years old and knowing that he is going to be a young man in the world one day. And I want to make sure that he is treating Indigenous women, girls and two-spirit communities with respect, kindness and love. And I want to make sure that he treats every person like that and that he isn't contributing to those problems and contributing to the injustices that we're seeing happen to our women. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's certainly a difficult time anytime news like this comes up because it does bring up those conversations that we have to have with our young people. And we have to, you know, have to discuss that reality that our people are living and, and experiencing and start to have those conversations with our young ones and raising them in a way that helps them understand where they fit into the world and how they fit into changing what's going on for our people. The Couch Potatoes have assembled, and that particular music has to do with some huge news that came out of Brazil Comic Con yesterday, including a teaser trailer that has people all around the world excited. I don't believe in magic, but a few times in my life seen things, things I can't explain, and I've come to believe it's not so much what you believe, it's how hard you believe it. Ah, goosebumps. Yes, that is so great. <laughs> the, the smile that just washed over my face, oh. tingling everywhere, Indiana Jones, and the Dial of Destiny. Jeff Braun, I know you're a big fan of Indiana Jones. Yeah. What do you think? Oh, I'm excited. I, I was, you know, like a lot of people, an eyebrow went up when they announced this movie, and Spielberg's like, I'm not even going to direct it. Uh, but so everyone's like, should they even be making a fifth Indiana Jones? Because nobody liked the fourth one. And, you know, Harrison Ford hasn't gotten any younger in the last 15 years. But that trailer is pretty spectacular. It looks really good. And uh, the director, James Mangold, has made a lot of good movies. He made the, fa- or uh, what's it, what was it called? Ford versus Ferrari just a couple of years ago was his last movie, a movie I really, really like. So I'm uh, cautiously optimistic about this one. And Loren, you uh, you like the Indiana Jones movies, and in fact, you've been actually been to one of the iconic locations in the series, haven't you? I just looked this up, and now I've already forgotten. It. Petra? Yes, but no. But what was the movie? Which Last Crusade? Last Crusade. So of course, there's a scene uh, that of them running out. I think when the ball is chasing them, that giant cement ball, and he's no. running out. No, that's, wrong movie. That, that's that's Raiders. Darn it! See, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> well, whatever. 
Well, they, they do have to come burst. That, that's the one where they go in to find the Holy Grail. Right. And then they come bursting out because someone's chasing them or what's happening? Because there? the whole thing's falling apart. All right. See, well, I've sat there and stared at that and had a coffee and had that tune playing through my head and imagined a camel or a horse racing through the streets. That movie makes me want to race camels, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, she was outside the, I mean, you know, in the movie, they could actually go into that temple. It's that temple that was carved into the rock mm-hmm. face. You can't actually go in it in real life. Yeah, but still, to be actually be there and to see that, it would be just incredible. Mackling, are you a fan of Indiana Jones? Oh, yeah. I saw that, uh, the first one in the Strand Theater in Brandon. Just, I, I know you've seen movies there over the years as well, Bronner. Yep. And so anytime I see any Indiana Jones, I'm, I'm instantly taken back to that time. And I see that our good friend John Reese davies is in this uh, fifth version of the film as well, Brett. Yeah, that's right. I heard the voice at the beginning and I thought, oh, is that who I hope it is? So, yeah, it's exciting to see him back as Sala. Jeff, Bron, let me ask you this, because eventually Harrison Ford's going to have to stop making these movies. Um <laughs> James Bond gets recast. What do you think of the idea of uh, someone else no. playing the role of Indiana Jones? Yeah, no, that's not a good idea. They, they, you know, if you got a good movie script with the words Indiana Jones in it, but you're not going to have Harrison Ford, just cross out the name, put in somebody else, and make a new movie. Come on. Good. And you said, did I hear you say no, Mackling? Yeah, you just can't do that. Uh, I suspect there's a lot of green screening in this film based on what I saw in the trailer, but also the callback at the very end of the trailer, I won't spoil it for anyone, is hilarious. No words are required. So if you're a fan of this, seek out the trailer. It's fantastic. Disney also released the first trailer for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, if you want to check that out as well. So that's exciting. By the way, there's a Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special that came out last week on Disney+. Plus. runs about 45 minutes. Jeff, uh, you watched that, right? Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's uh, the humor you expect from the Guardians of the Galaxy folks. Uh, it's a little bit, you know, obviously lighter on the special effects than the, the big feature-length films would have, but it's still a lot of fun, and like you said, it's only 45 minutes, so it's uh, something new and Christmassy to watch this month. Uh, I would absolutely recommend it. With an interesting uh, inclusion of Kevin Bacon, and we'll just leave it at that if you want to check that out. And speaking of holidays and Christmas, there's a new Christmas movie out this weekend, which looks amazing, and it was shot in Winnipeg. David Harbour, whom you might know as Officer Jim Hopper in Stranger Things, stars as Santa Claus in Violent Night, and he's about to drop in on a rather naughty situation. All right, revelers. Welcome to your worst Christmas ever. Let's go! You have $300 million in your personal vault. That's what I want for Christmas. So John Leguizamo leads a team of crooks trying to rob a wealthy family just as Santa shows up to drop off young Trudy's presents. But when one of the crooks attacks him, like he hits Santa in the face. We learn that's a mistake. This Kris Kringle is no slouch. He fights back and it turns out jolly old Saint Nick is about to deliver a blunt force Christmas miracle. Santa Claus is coming to town. Season's beatings. <laughs> Did you say season beatings? Season's beatings. Season's beatings. <laughs> it's like John Wick meets Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> and Home Alone, no. Here's the thing. Um, 
This is looks super violent, so it, it's not. It like it, it sounds like it's a light and fun movie, but it's, it looks like there's some grisly violence in this. It's sitting around seventy percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Listener Jen texted us to say that she saw it last night and says it is absolutely fantastic. So, Bron, what, do you think that'll be up your alley? Oh uh, yeah, I don't think I'll rush out to theaters to see it, but I'll definitely check it out uh, one day down the line. What about you, Mackling? Want to see Santa lay the smackdown? <laughs> Not typically my kind of movie. However, uh, the Winnipeg connection and some of the humor that I've seen in the trailers and, and some of the bits and pieces that I've seen have me wanting to see this. What, is that, what are they saying? The combination between Home Alone and uh, Die Hard, uh, two of my favorite films. So uh, I'm down with that. Eh, maybe. If I have no other choice. Yeah. Well, there's one scene, and he, actually the poster has him, uh, he's like sucking on a candy cane. And I, like he's sharpening the candy cane to then use as a weapon, like a shiv, a shiv candy cane. Yep, yeah. And, and I've I've noticed that about can, like sometimes if I've got a candy cane, I'll, I'll get it down to a fine point, and then I'll think, good lord, like I, if I wanted to injure somebody with this, I could, th- that's kind of scary. So Santa finds some creativity at Christmas. Violent night. It's new in theaters. Violent night. <laughs> Couch Potatoes podcast is now available. Jeff Braun, thank you very much, sir. Yep. And the Couch Potatoes airs on CJOB Saturdays at noon, (laughs) Sundays at 6. And we've got uh, Jeff, by the way, in this week's edition of the Couch Potatoes. Jeff revisits a classic, a comedy classic, a Hall of Fame classic. So you have to check that out. You can't uh, tell us what it is. That's, I guess, your teasing. Nice tease. Nice tease, No, no, that's the point. I like it. I'm in. It's Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. There, we'll do the reveal. And yeah, I now, watched now that I need to watch myself it again. two weeks ago. Did I you really? Two week- yeah, it was on all over AMC on uh, Thanksgiving in the States. It's sort of a Thanksgiving-oriented uh, movie. So, uh, yeah, great film. And uh, I'll tell you as well, I made a recommendation in last week's episode of 1899 that had listener Tammy saying, Brett! I'm really mad at you. You recommended this show. I watched it and I hated it. I hated the ending. Uh, so I did a follow-up review to explain myself a little bit further. Uh, so sorry about that, Tammy. I have phoned you and yelled at you for a choice that you've given me. So I, that's... Was it the haunting of... It, was the, it, wasn't, it wasn't enough haunting. The haunting of Hill House or whatever that one was. Okay. You yeah. said it was really scary. And yeah, I was, I like, was scared. This is going to be so scary. We've got to watch this. And then like three episodes in, both my husband and I... You got to call McGarry. Like, we're not... We're not remotely scared yeah. right now. I, I know your, your threshold for spicy food is much greater than mine, and clearly your threshold for being scared is much greater than mine. Sensitized, McNabb. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> Why not head somewhere warm, somewhere almost tropical? The Leaf, a brand new horticultural attraction at Assiniboine Park, officially opens this weekend. So it, of course, includes lush tropical plants. There's flowers, different gardens, butterflies. There's even Canada's, I think it's tallest, indoor waterfall. For more, we're joined by Laura Kaback with the Assiniboine Park Conservatory. They're the group that oversees the leaf. Good morning, Laura. Good morning. So the cost to build this was $130 million, and it wasn't without delay. It was first set to open in 2020, but here we are, a warm place to go in winter, and of course the gardens that surround it in the summer. What's the sales pitch? What will we see when we, as soon as we walk in the doors? So the leaf is, is not only a stunning piece of architecture, it's, it's a beautiful building where we uh, are looking forward to providing wonderful experiences. So there are four unique indoor plant biomes, 
Um, as you mentioned, there is the Hartley and Heather Richardson Tropical Biome, and it is filled with lush plant material from uh, rainforest and tropical regions of the world, and indeed a six-story waterfall. A uh, little interesting note is that waterfall was designed by uh, a gentleman by the name of Dan User, and he is most famously known uh, probably for his design of the water feature at the 9-11 Memorial in New York City. So we're really fortunate to have had his input into the design. Uh, the next biome is the Mediterranean biome. It's uh, sort of got a cooler, drier climate and a whole different variety of plant material. It smells amazing uh, when you set foot into that space, and it's got a lovely seating area and some really cool plants in there as well. We have the Babs Asper Display House, and that will be home to displays that change throughout the year. So four or five times a year, that space will be completely transformed. Right now, we have a holiday display in there that's just beautiful. And then uh, up on the third floor of the building, which is it's the third floor, but it's actually elevated about five stories high, is the Shirley Richardson Butterfly Garden. And it will be populated year-round with uh, tropical butterfly species, but it also provides access to a canopy walkway. And that wraps around that big waterfall and uh, visitors can look down on the canopy of the tropical biome, which, you know, right now is really lush, but that biome is going to grow and flourish over time. So I think that view is just going to get more and more amazing as time goes on. So, Laura, we were used to being able to go indoors and, and, and see these plants in, in the previous iteration of this facility that was around for about 100 years in Winnipeg. Lots of memories for a lot of folks. This new facility is absolutely stunning. Uh, we can see it actually from the 30th floor at 201 Portage, and, <laughs> and it, it is an incredible addition to not only the uh, skyline of Assiniboine Park, but the city overall. However, you know that there are people that are, are bothered by the uh, admission price. What do you say to those that are pushing back on $15.50 a head for an adult and $8.50 for, for each child? Yeah, I think change is sometimes hard. And, and while we certainly have in our community um, matters of accessibility and poverty that we need to address as a community, um, you know, when we when we built the LEAF, we, of course, had a responsibility to make sure that we could sustain it for the future. So while the park itself is free and we offer a really wonderful and wide variety of experience and, and, and spaces that can be explored and enjoyed for free year-round, the, uh, the park's two signature attractions, the zoo and the LEAF, are admission-based. And that's a reality of our funding model. We, uh, the, those admission-based attractions help support all of that free experience and space and programming year-round. We've been really careful to make sure that the, the admission prices that we've set are comparable to other attractions. Um, in addition to that, though, we also have a community access program and distribute vouchers for free admission to the zoo and the leaf through agencies like the United Way and Manso. And, and we've expanded that program. Um, we're going to be distributing over 22,000 of those vouchers and working directly with agencies that serve the people in our community that have the greatest needs. So we, we're doing our part, but we also have a responsibility to make sure we take care of this wonderful new attraction that we've built. And I also understand you've got a craft kitchen and bar that is opening on, what is it, Monday? 
That's right. So the Leaf is home to this wonderful new restaurant. It's called Gather Craft Kitchen and Bar. A unique experience, a really inspired menu. Uh, our chef uh, describes it as um, modern prairie cuisine. Um, I've had the uh, uh, the fortunate experience of sampling some of the menu items there, and uh, it's uh, it's really great. And it will open for dinner service on Monday, December fifth. So we have the park, we've got the leaf, the gardens on the outside. If you, we can still walk through those in winter. Yes, Laura. Oh yeah, oh. absolutely. And then zoo lights this weekend. Yeah, zoo lights opened last night. It's back for the fourth time. This is a wonderful event at the zoo. We just love it. It's just cheerful and joyful and beautiful, and it's all. It's just a wonderful way to sort of kick off the holiday season. Um, great event, lots of good food, good entertainment, and beautiful, beautiful lights. So bundle up. Come on out. Everything, all the information about that event is online, and we'd love to see people there at that as well. Laura Kayback with the Assiniboine Park Conservancy, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Thank you very much for this. We appreciate it. My pleasure. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Emotions are high this morning as Winnipeg's Manitobans Canadians take in the news that another serial killer was recently walking the streets of Winnipeg. Winnipeg police wouldn't say whether Jeremy Skrebicki was targeting Indigenous women, but all four of his victims, who police say were murdered between March and May of this year, were Indigenous. Sam Harris uh, is the Director of Healing and Wellness Programs uh, with uh, an organization in Winnipeg here, joined us earlier this morning. It's just such a heartbreaking thing to you know, constantly have to have these gatherings and constantly have to come together as a community to mourn and to to remember and honor these women. And, you know, we we're tired of that. It's 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 exhausting. It's exhausting were her words. She said it's angering. She was filled with rage at some points. And she had watched that news conference with others yesterday and also referenced the fact that as she was watching with folks at Ganaganichek, they are super mindful of just how deeply triggering this can be for families who have walked this path before. Our next guest is Bernadette Smith, an NDP MLA, and also one of many Manitobans who unfortunately know what these four families are now going through. Bernadette's sister Claudette went missing in 2008. Good morning, Bernadette. Good morning, Lorraine. I just, uh, I guess it's just a simple question for you, if you don't mind. How are you doing today? What are you feeling? Um, really tough emotions. You know, four women have been, you know, brutally murdered. Four families have, well, three families have got news, you know, of their their beautiful daughter, you know, sister, friend, niece, you know, whose lives have been taken. I'm just so sick and tired of this. Bernadette, we uh, we feel your pain this morning, and and I know that this is uh, hits far too close to your personal experience. We've had the discussion earlier about the fact that these revelations yesterday have to be triggering for for thousands of of Manitobans and Canadians. Uh, t- talk about how how we handle that part of it. Yeah, yesterday I spent the day, you know, talking with families, comforting families. Um, families are, it's very triggering and there's not enough supports for families. Um, families are just feeling like, when's it ever going to end? When's this going to stop? 
you know, why do we have to continue to, you know, worry about our kids, worry about our grandkids, and why can't they be safe to walk the streets? And it's just another reminder of how unsafe Indigenous women are, and and even more so now, you know, it's amplified by the fact that, you know, four women by the same person, and how many more are out there? You know, and is he responsible for more? We have so many families that don't have answers about who murdered their loved one. So many families whose loved one is still missing, you know, including three of these women. They found, you know, DNA, but they're, they haven't been found. You know, we have one who is identified and, you know, families are wondering, is that their loved one? You know, and it's, yeah, we just hope that they're able to identify this this young girl and that, um, you know, our city and our province recognizes we have to do more. And, you know, our country, we have to do more to, to protect Indigenous women because it, this is a genocide. You know, these were targeted. And I know the police are saying they don't know if they were, but these are four Indigenous women. They're all Indigenous women. They're all young, under 40. 20, you know, 20 years old. Can you imagine? Like, and I want Manitobans to think, what if that was your daughter? You know, what if that was your niece? We need to to wake up and stop normalizing this and get involved and demand our governments, you know, whether it's our provincial, our federal, or our city, and demand of ourselves that we do more we have to. We can't continue this way. We're losing We've had so many conversations about missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirited peoples. What do you want to hear today? I want to hear more um, supports for families. I want to hear about more prevention. You know, how are we going to make our cities more safe. We need more housing. You know, we have so many people that are in vulnerable states. I talked to some folks yesterday in in the shelters and, you know, people in the shelters are even telling me that, you know, people that are unsheltered are being targeted and exploited. This shouldn't be happening. You know, we have the capacity to to help people be safe, our most vulnerable be safe. We need programs for women. And I, you know, I was one of those vulnerable women at one point. I was a single mom of two young boys. I was on EIA. You know, I was able to go into a a program that lifted me out of poverty, that lifted my kids out of poverty now. It's a rippling effect. We have to start investing so that people aren't put in those positions. They don't want to be in those positions, but there's not enough services or resources to help, you know, lift up people who have lived decades like this. That was normalized for me. I always thought that was my path. It doesn't have to be. We need to start helping people deal with the trauma that they've experienced. And I talk about the intergenerational, and I know people are like, well, how long is that going to go for? Well, I can tell you that, you know, I still deal with it, and I've done a lot of work on myself. And there's still lots of work to be done. 
this has been going on for a long, long time. And, you know, people talked yesterday at the vigil that I can't even walk into the store with, as an Indigenous person. I'm targeted. I think people think I'm going to come in there to shoplift. Well, that's how bad it's got. You know, and how do we stop that, you know, stereotypical behavior and start looking at, you know, why is that person, and even if they are shoplifting, why are they shoplifting? They're shoplifting probably because they're hungry. You know, maybe they need to put some food on the table for their kids. Maybe they need to keep the lights on in their house. We have to start helping people, you know, that need support and really to get down to the root of what, you know, what is causing their pain. And, you know, certainly my sister could have used that help and our family need that help. And the families yesterday, like, it. It's brutal. Like, people are in pain. Bernadette, you've used a couple times in this conversation this morning the word normalized. And, and is that part of the problem, it, it, that there might be too many people out there where it, this is normalized and therefore we aren't feeling the rage and the shame and, and the disgust that, that should be in everyone's heart and mind this morning? Absolutely. And I think that's what's, um, you know, really given permission to whoever is doing this, you know, to do it because nobody's, you know, enraged about this. Nobody's, you know, um, it's not on the media, you know, it's taken four women and I'm sure this will be on the media for a few more days and then it'll kind of, you know, dissipate. But this should be in people's minds and hearts and coming out of their mouths every single day. We have to help each other. And Indigenous women need, you know, more help. We're disproportionately affected. You know, I can walk out my door today and never be seen again. I'm four times more likely. Um, And that's an old statistic that might even be higher now to never be seen again. That's not right. You know, I should be able, just like any other person, to feel safe. And we have to be enraged. And like I said, it's it's been so normalized, the, the behavior, the violence. You know, um, I was pushed in the Manitoba legislature for my chair was pushed. It was backhanded last week. And yesterday... Um, you know, my matter of privilege was dismissed and I didn't have enough evidence that is happening in those institutions and it is being allowed to happen at the highest level. And we are not doing anything about it. And it's normalizing that behavior and giving people permission to do it and say that it's okay. And you will get away with violence against indigenous women. And I'm sick and tired of it. Bernadette, thank you for the time. And I'm sorry we keep having to come back to some of these all-too-familiar conversations. We appreciate you. I appreciate you, too. Thank you. It is Friday, and Mr. Greg Mackling, we normally speak to whom on Fridays at 9.05? Gabrielle Marchand, who is the anchor of Global News Morning, seen Monday through Friday. 6 a.m. till 9 a.m. on CKND, Channel 9, Cable 12, or on my television, Channel 101, CKNDD. That's CKND Television in HD. Now it's kind of HD radio. 
Is that what they call it now? <laughs> no, because you're involved now, Clay. It is absolutely high-definition radio. Good morning, friend. How are you? What's going on over there? <laughs> Clay, uh, I'm sitting here. You've been on my TV all morning, so oh, I feel like I've been hanging with you. So. Good to know. I was telling Brett yeah. this morning that one of the great things about being back at work is the computer is so much faster than at home. Right. Editing things at home took forever. I said, that said, I am wasting, sorry, that's not the word, losing a lot of time in conversations <laughs> with Clay. I know. We have such fun in the morning. <laughs> and then 25 minutes go by. You should have heard the rant this morning. It was like, uh, <laughs> I can't take any more of this. <laughs> yeah, well, sometimes you got to let your feelings out, Clay. Let's yeah. let's get our feelings out. They're known, it's known as a rant. It's a rant. And yeah. what makes you rant? We talked earlier this week about things that instantly annoy us. What in, what's the thing that instantly annoys you? It doesn't cause me to go on a rant, but it annoys me. You know, social media. You know, I'm familiar. You get these. What annoys me is, is I start getting these messages, you know, on Messenger from people who I have no idea who they are. Hey, Clay, how are you? What are you doing today? Who are you? Never mind. I, it just... I've, I've, you know, back in the day, want a friend we cussed? Yeah. I have no idea who you are. And now it's come tonight. I vet people very carefully because I don't know you from Adam, man. And and they're asking me personal questions like, who are you? It could scam. be a scam. Yeah, yeah, it could be a scam. It could be. It could be. But then I click on the profile. Okay, I guess I friended them back in the day. And what's going on, Clay? You know, <laughs> And they're sending these, somehow they know I'm up at 3 in the morning because that's when I get up for work. What's happening, Clay? Well, somehow they know they're, they're because they say that, yes. It annoys me. All right, well, stop messaging Clay, <laughs> yeah. whoever there, you are. There it is. We have it. Clay Young says, if you're, my if you're friend, a fan, yes. leave me alone. If you've got a really good hot news tip, yes. I'm going to message Clay right now. But just now. like, what are you doing, Clay? You How doing are you? Now? Are you mooching spaghetti into oh, a yeah. sandwich? Are you grabbing kimus? What is going on over there? Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right. Yes, what else? Um, <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. What else, what else do you need to know? How about uh, weird reasons you've had to either miss school or work? Not like serious ones, but maybe you know, whether it was something happened or perhaps you simply chose. I'm going to tell you a really true story. This happened back in high school. So I was playing for the uh, high school football team. This is the Campbell oh, Tartans word. in Regina. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Hold on, and, hold on, hold on. What, Greg is already saying, oh, my word. Deb, do you know oh, the story? Oh, yeah. Any, any story that starts with Clay discussing his high school football cl- uh, career, strap on this, your own helmet. This, okay, this really, good. This really happened. So I, I had a white uniform, white pants, football pants, and a, and, and a red a red practice jersey. Threw it all in the wash, and then it came out, and it was it was all pink, right? So I my first of all, I showed my mom this, and she goes, "What are you, some kind of an idiot? <laughs> you don't put that in the washing machine?" Well, I don't know. Well, you got to make a decision. You either go to practice today or you stay home because I I don't know why I'm gonna have to get bleached to to get this stuff out. So I thought about it, and I thought. I'm going to practice. I went to practice. You got to remember, we're talking high school kids here, and this what one year Clay. And 
This would have been about 1978. Mm -hmm. And this guy shows up in a pink outfit. I've, I never heard the end of it. And I made a big mistake because you know how kids are. So I should have just said, I can't make it, Coach. I have uh, the uh, cold, the flu, something like that. But I went through with it. And, uh, yeah. I think that shows you the, the level of fortitude that yeah. you carry. It shows you're a I man of so. character. Well, it also shows how cruel kids can be. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. That's, you know, we, we all, uh, I'm sure, have those uniform. memories. Here he comes onto the field. <laughs> <laughs> you ever you ever get in a fight with someone, Clay, uh, over customer service? Like uh, you're trying to you're trying to get some satisfaction, and you, and you're just not you're not getting what you need from that company. Oh, all the time. Well, you know, Lethal Weapon, uh, Joe Pesci. You know that famous. They blank you at the drive-through. They blank you at the drive-through. You go through the drive-through. You clearly say no onions, please, on that Big Mac. No onions. Yes, sir. We got that. Pull up. No onions in here, right? I think it's a no deja vu. Onions. I we had this yeah. exact no ranch yeah, one week we ago. And then I drive home, and sure done. enough, I should have checked the bag He's right there. Done. There's onions. And, I, of course, <laughs> other times I go, can I have ketchup for the fries? Absolutely. I just want to make sure we're on the same page here. Ketchup with the fries. You got it, sir. Open the bag. No ketchup. One time I drove home, I said, that's, that's, uh, you know, just the principle, and I drove all the way back. <laughs> you drove back? Like, did you not have ketchup in your fridge? No! Why not? We were out. I love ketchup. I put ketchup on everything, like my spaghetti. Oh, we went through that. We went through the spaghetti thing a couple of weeks ago, didn't nope, we? No, just last week. It was, oh, just, it was just, just last seven week. days ago, Clay. <laughs> See, time, <laughs> time flies when you're having a good time here. <laughs> That's why we call it Clayham. <laughs> he is the Clayman. He is a superhero. He is Clay Young. He's filling in for Gabrielle Marchand on Global News Morning weekdays, 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. on Global Winnipeg. Clay, always a pleasure. Thank I you. I love you three. I lo love you four. Jeff Fournier, I, for I haven't Fournier. forgotten you. I love you. <laughs> he loves you so much, I love he can't you recall all. your last name. <laughs> Jeff Fournier you. and Brent McGarry, I love you so much. <laughs> I love you. you really love me? All right. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. The first trailer for this was released yesterday, and it's exciting. It looks great. Harrison Ford still looks... The man is 80 years old, and he still looks terrific in this film, and it looks like he still can, can do the action stuff, so that's cool. And uh, we're asking you about your favorites. So a couple of selections here, for example, like um, Nick... Had one that I think Forte even pointed that out, Loren. Yeah, so you're either your favorite sequel or the worst sequel. And I have to agree with Nick. This is one of the worst for sure. Dumb and Dumberer. Dumb and Dumber was a great film. But the follow-up, Dumb and Dumberer, with a basically, with besides Eugene Levy, I didn't recognize anyone in that cast. Yeah. That was a terrible, terrible film. When Harry met oh. Lloyd, they couldn't get Jim Carrey and Jeff Daniels back, so they just went It was earlier. a prequel, I guess, yeah. in theory, yeah. Have you oh. seen it, Mackling? No, well, no. This you is save all yourself news time. to me. I, I, I'd sort of forgotten about this film, and maybe on purpose. Uh, yeah, I'm not going down any rabbit hole uh, searching for this. Was yeah. the parrot alive in that first? No parrot. Oh, I can't. No or <laughs> parakeet. I just thought it was real quiet. Like they tried to do this with another Jim Carrey movie. They made a uh, Son of the Mask. 
Oh, right. Right. Also a terrible idea. Yeah. Like, were were they just so far down the road with production and uh, getting things together that, and Carrie just saying, yeah, you know what? I'm not doing that, that they had no choice but to do it elsewise, because why would you? Like, that'd be like doing uh, Liar Liar. Yeah, you're going to do Liar Liar 2 with somebody else instead of Jim Carrey? Give me a break. Yeah, and they tried that with Bruce Almighty. They did a sequel mm-hmm. to Bruce Almighty with Steve Carell, mm-hmm. right? Evan Almighty. Yes. And it wasn't bad, but it, to me, it was a kind of just a totally di- same premise of someone kind of being connected to God and being able to help, but he built a Noah's Ark. It was different. Yeah. And he was good in it. Yeah, and at that point, I think Carell's star had started to shine mm-hmm. much brighter at that point. He, I think, might have been the it guy in comedy at that time. David says, my best sequel would have to go to... It galls me to say it. For reasons known only to the Almighty and your guardian angel, you've been called back to Top Gun. Ah, Ed Harris, the way he says that, you've been called back to Top Gun. He just chewed the scenery in that scene. He had one scene in the movie, and it was so good. It's the perfect example of a film that you liked so much when you were younger, Top Gun, that you almost, I was almost, you know, when you're nervous watching something, like, please don't ruin what was such a good thing 25, 30 years ago, right? And then when I was halfway, like, I was in the theater like, yeah! <laughs> my kids are like, shh, mama, no way! I am shouting at the screen for 90 minutes. I think this reboot, this uh, Top Gun Maverick, has made me appreciate the original more. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think it's a brilliant film. I really, that's a cinematic experience. That's more than a film. For sure. That's what, that's what, that's what going to the movies is supposed to be all about, Brett. And I, I didn't even, I didn't, uh, have a problem with the original Top Gun. I just, I, I watched it when I was a kid. I liked it, but I just kind of, I never watched it again. Uh, it was, so it wasn't one of my favorites. I just thought it was cool. And then when it moved on and when they announced that they were doing this Top Gun sequel, I thought, okay. Yeah. And, uh, and then when they released it and everybody started raving about how good it was, I thought, well, I guess I got to go check this out. And, uh, and I, to this, well, I mean, it's only been a few months, but I've never seen a more exciting film on the screen. And then when I rented it at home, same thing. It's just edge of your seat. Like I like hold your breath excitement that we haven't seen on the big screen in a long time. I think we've watched it three times in our house, once in theater and twice on demand. Yeah? Cool. You paid I think, to watch it on demand uh, or is it like either, on uh, streaming for free? Or? No, on demand the first time we had a situation where I didn't realize they had already watched it at home again and then I paid for it again. Oh, no. And that's fine. We we're all fine with it, but yeah. The, the, the first Top Gun movie wasn't that... The movie that you played, the DVD that you slipped in to show off your new surround sound <laughs> oh. stereo system. Yeah, and it was a, it, it was an Oscar winner, I believe, in uh, sound categories as well. It had had tremendous sound, and the, the visual effects in that movie were were for its time were remarkable. Like they still, it still looks cool. It's just the the the, the advancements they made with the camera work and whatnot for the new one was magnificent. Uh, and Tom, a.k.a. Begsy, also says best has to be Maverick and worst, Smokey and the Bandit 2. And uh, David, by the way, pointed out worst sequel, any of the scary movie franchise. I am, the first one. my mouth just dropped. Lucas just wrote to say, I cannot believe you guys like the sequel to Top Gun. That movie was terrible. Are you oh, kidding? Oh, come on now. Lucas I'm is just being trying a to rile us up. 
I, I hope so, because it's the biggest movie of the year by a mile. It is almost universally critically raved about. I wouldn't be shocked if, this, if it gets nominated for Best Picture. Someone just said that. They think it will get an Oscar nomination. That was the question from Tom. It should. I think it should as well. Hey, Bob, by the way, Bob says favorite sequel, Terminator, uh, Judgment yes. Day, T2. My dad just texted yeah. me to say his favorite sequel is T2, Smash Gordon, weighing in on that. Mark agrees with you, Forte. Speed 2, worst sequel, Cruise Control. And uh, or one of our listeners, and I can't find the original text, so I apologize for that, but one of our listeners had suggested Highlander 2, the quickening worst sequel. And then Paul followed up with saying, hey, my friends and I refer to Highlander 2 as the sickening. <laughs> that bad, eh? <laughs> well, and I appreciate that, that he and his buddies actually like Highlander enough to denounce the sequel. Because the first movie is such a unique, wonderful film, and um, and they should have stuck, as far as making more movies goes, they should have just followed the mantra of the Highlander, there can be only one, and leave it at that. But uh, Loren- Is there a movie? Oh, sorry, do we have to go here? No, I just go had a quick, I, had, I had a quick question here, because it just popped into my head, and that's what we do. Uh, is there a movie out there that deserves and should have a sequel that hasn't yet? Like, I can't think of one off the, off the top of my head, but I'm just curious, Brett, is there is there one or Loren that you lament the fact that, oh, they could have done, they could have done a, a, a follow-up on this one? Oh, boy. That's a good question. And that's, that's something, that might be a homework assignment for me this weekend as I, you know, inhale some Santa okay. Lucia that pizza. Is, I apologize this. for no. giving you work. Brett. Let's revisit this <laughs> next week because I think it's a good question. And there's also all sorts of movies that you feel like you didn't, it didn't finish or you just wanted to see more because you liked it so much. Like I love the film Love Actually. Yeah. And there's part of me that would like to know, is there a way to fast forward 10 years and have the same characters and figure out where they are all at in life because they, I liked it so much. They did actually re, uh, bring them back. Um, in what it was, I think it was just it was like a, it was an NBC Red Nose Day special in 2017, I believe. Hmm. So it wasn't a film, but it was um, it was like a 15 minute, just sort of revisit. Hmm. Yeah, like just because you cared, you, you were so in connected with the characters, you cared so much that you would, they become real to you, and you'd like to know more. The same way when I finish a book. And you're like, but no, what about what happened next? Or where could they go next? And then there's other films. You're like, you know, you better leave that one behind. <laughs> I Never will, do it again. I think I've got a link here for you, and I'll, I'll share that okay. in a moment. Um, but Oh, our, like part two of The Grey. Did he die or not? Oh, uh, you know, that would be, oh. I don't know. Can you keep going through the bush with wolves chasing you? Yeah, I think it's safe to say he probably. You have to make some assumptions. Sometimes mm-hmm. I, I think he uh, met his demise in that one, and I, w- I don't. I would not want to see more of that. Um, but we got to go here, so let's uh, go with the winner. And um, Loren, you, you found a text from Len. My choice would be Slapshot Two. You could never match the original, but having Stephen Baldwin and Gary Busey doesn't help. It was twenty five <laughs> years apart for Part Two. They could, I could have waited twenty five more years. I did see the original in theater, and probably at least twenty times. It never fails to crack me up. Len loved the original Slapshot, did not appreciate Slapshot 2. Mackling, have you seen Slapshot 2? I wouldn't dare. <laughs> How dare they? How dare they? <laughs> well, it's no different than Top Gun. That's more than 25 years no, apart. No, 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 no. Uh, Tom Cruise, was he in the first one? Yes. That's, I see what I'll your point is. Right there. Okay. Leave it right there. <laughs> 